saving money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com. For all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Bob Smetana didn't grow up religious, but in a way, that's part of why he reports about religion now. My family started going to church when we were teenagers, and we hadn't gone to church before, so it's an interesting new world. And then you discover everyone else has a new world like that. You know, you go to the Methodists or the Baptists or Muslims or Jews. Everyone's world is different in religion. You sound like an anthropologist. <laughs> I feel like it. I'm just curious. This is the best beat because you can talk about anything. <laughs> you know, politics, ethics, love, marriage, sex, scandal. It's all here. That mix of politics, scandal, ethics... Bob says it can get supercharged in one denomination in particular, the Southern Baptist Convention. They are the largest evangelical group in the country. And as Bob puts it, Southern Baptists love three things, Jesus, the Bible, and a good fight. They don't mind having their fights in public either. Every year, they all get together for a meeting where megachurch pastors mingle with small-town preachers. And all of these folks try to hammer out the convention's rules. It's part political convention. It's part family reunion because there are sermons and hymn singing. You start out with sermons and hymn singing and prayers. It's a political meeting with God. And so with all the rules and all the prayers and all the passion. I've heard it described as radically democratic. It is radically democratic. If you're a delegate, if you're a giant pastor or church member from a tiny little church, if you're in line at the mic, you get to talk and you get called, you get to talk. You know, this year it was 15 almost 16,000 people having a business meeting. Think about the, the U.S. Catholic bishops. They met by Zoom, and it's a few men deciding, you know, how the church will operate. The Baptists are like, we're going to get 15,500 of us together, and we're going to have points of order, and we're going to argue it out. That's how we're going to do business. At this year's meeting, it took place last week in Nashville. The stakes felt high. Many church leaders had supported Donald Trump, some individual pastors, though, they said they find Trump abhorrent. There were allegations of sexual abuse, of racism. All of the people at this meeting, they said they wanted to find fellowship in the scripture. But they couldn't stop fighting over how inclusive that scripture actually is. They're making a decision. Do we want to withdraw and purify our party, purify our church, and only have people who agree on it with us on every single thing? Or do we want to have a more open-hearted response where there are going to be people who disagree with us on politics and culture, but agree with us on the essentials and we can work with them? I was reading a little bit of the speech that the outgoing president of the Southern Baptist Convention made at this meeting. And one line really stood out to me where he said something to the effect of, we have to choose whether we're Southern or whether we're Baptist. And for him, that seemed to be the main thing at stake. Yeah, that is that is probably a pretty good way of putting it. They have been mostly white Southern Republican for most of their history, and now they don't want to be that. 
they're having the same problem that you are having at your Thanksgiving table. How do people deal with all the changes in the country and go forward? Today on the show, to survive, the Southern Baptist Convention needs to let more people in. But is their internal culture war making that impossible? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Before the Southern Baptist Convention, or SBC's, annual meeting, you might have seen headlines about a guy named Russell Moore. He recently left the denomination. Moore was in charge of the SBC's public policy arm. He's the kind of guy you'd expect to be in that position. A kind-looking man, always smiling, dark hair, even though he's nearly 50. And like a lot of Southern Baptists, he's white. My understanding is that he was not at the meeting, but his absence kind of hung over the meeting like a specter. Can you explain why? Sure. Yeah, more and more resigned recently as the head of what's called the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which is he's the chief ethicist. And um, he had been a, a sore point um, in recent years, really since the election of Donald Trump. He had been very critical of Trump. He called him a huckster at one point. Trump eventually called him a little man with no heart. So there was personal animus between the, <laughs> the president and more. Moore was not shy about his opinions. This is him on CNN back in 2016. Well, convictional evangelicals who are pro-life and pro-family know that Hillary Clinton's not with us and, and we can't go in that direction and in that way. But that doesn't mean that we have to, to follow another way that is also reckless and, and horrible. And I think what we're seeing... And right we should now, say Moore's quite conservative. He, he's pro-life, he's anti-gay marriage... Yes, Moore's quite conservative. And he's very much like his predecessor, Richard Land, who was a legendary both GOP activist and uh, Southern Baptist ethicist. So Land and Moore had very similar positions. So Moore, in the last couple of weeks, there have been these letters that have come out that have really laid bare the kind of battles he was having internally with his colleagues. Can you explain the letters and and what they said? Sure. So Moore had long had kind of adversarial relationships with some Southern Baptist leaders. Part of it was some churches began to withhold money, what's called their CP dollars or cooperative program dollars, because of Moore's statements. So that caused consternation among a lot of Baptist leaders. And so I think that made state leaders angry. I think that Moore sometimes was so confrontational against other Baptists that he turned people off. So there's a kind of a personal politicking thing going on there. And he has also been very, very pro-sexual abuse survivor and, and addressing that. So basically what you're saying is 
that Russell Moore would see these hot pans yes. <laughs> at the Southern Baptist Convention, whether it be allegations of sexual abuse or how the convention speaks about race. Mm-hmm. And rather than just ignoring them, he reached right over for them and said, yeah, like the Bible has something to say about this. The Bible has something to say about how we treat women, about how we treat people of color. Yes, he was very outspoken about this. I think he also um, was not great at, he was better at talking at people than talking to people. There are sort of attempts to make more a hero or victim. He was a flawed leader like anyone else. You wrote about this moment where it just sounded like he was kind of overwhelmed. Like one of his sons asked him why he was so frustrated. And in response, he took his son to a Southern Baptist convention meeting. Yes. So his son could see what he was dealing with. Yeah. What did his son see there? I think his son saw people who really hated his dad and thought his dad was, you know, evil. And, you know, like any behind the scenes, there was a lot of backfighting that was very cruel. And I think his son said something along the lines of, Dad, why do you want to work for people who hate you? And I think that was a, um, a moment that led to his leaving. The issues that eventually pushed Russell out They've come to consume the entirety of the Southern Baptist Convention. First, there's the issue of how the denomination, which was founded by slave owners, thinks about and deals with race. The church only apologized for its connections to slavery in the 1990s. Then, there's the way the SBC handles sexual abuse inside its churches. This issue came to a head a couple years back, when the Houston Chronicle published a major investigation— They revealed that hundreds of church leaders and volunteers had been accused of sexual misconduct and had left behind more than 700 victims. At a meeting several years ago, after that came out, J.D. Greer, the president, got up and said, here's 10 churches listed in that report that are still in our convention. We need to investigate them. One of those churches, a church in Georgia, they set up a small committee to look at them. The committee said, we're not going to look into these. And, And essentially exonerated them. So it's not a problem here. And some Southern Baptist leaders called the church and said, we're sorry, we, you know, you were sort of criticized. Well, then this past week, it came out that uh, the person who'd been the abuser at that church went on to abuse kids all over Georgia. And I think that was really a powerful thing. So theoretically, the convention could have stopped that? Yeah, the convention could have uh, found out about it. I think that the Southern Baptists and this came through at the meeting, they are horrified at the sexual abuse of children and women and, and boys and men. They're, they're horrified by sexual abuse. And they are horrified by the idea that someone who has sexual abuse was not cared for. And that someone who is a Southern Baptist you know, pastor was allowed to go from church to church and do this. And so they would want to have known so that they could have talked to survivors of abuse and minister to them, and that they could have removed that person. I think a lot of people will remember the Southern Baptist Convention has a deep history when it comes to race as a a pro-slavery church 
group that has tried to wrestle with that history over the last 50 years. Can you explain how the convention reached this point? Oh, yeah. There was a, essentially a civil war in the denomination over biblical inerrancy, basically what they call it. What's biblical inerrancy? It means that you think the Bible is without error and is trustworthy. And so you had folks who have a more modern views of scholarship who would say there was no Adam and Eve. Those are those aren't real people or there was no flood or some saying it's there just was no, a metaphor. It's a metaphor. There, were, there was no real resurrection. So they had a fight over what the Bible is. Is it a kind of man-made document or is it an inerrant word of God? And a certain reading of it as kind of a almost a fundamentalist reading of it. Those those folks won. The conservative surgeons won. Uh, and a lot of folks left. So when you talk about these arguments in the SBC now, it's between very, very conservative people. But there was, there has been a, a change. So the SBC had been the denomination of slavery. So in the 90s, they, re, they had a long statement of racism, which they repudiated the past. And they have tried to, and they become more diverse. But now this comes with new problems in that they, because they're more diverse, they have to, they're going to change. And it's going to change the culture, which is a, which is difficult. When we come back, what changing the SBC's culture looks like in practice. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So, first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two to one margin. In the late 1970s, Cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. Gay rights now! 
With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. <laughs> and activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gaze Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back. This year, the annual meeting of Southern Baptists was packed, with more attendees than it's had in years. Bob says that's because almost everyone had something they wanted to talk about. There were people there to talk about sexual abuse. They wanted answers about how much the SBC leadership knew and when they knew it. There was also a contingent of ultra-conservative members, the Conservative Baptist Network, or CBN. They thought the church was becoming too liberal. They were especially upset that the SBC was refusing to distance itself from critical race theory, which sometimes they just shortened to CRT. One or two of these conservatives even posted pictures of themselves on social media with pirate flags, saying they wanted to take back the SBC. Well, so you walk into the meeting... What is it like? Well, you walk through the doors and it's, first of all, it's like going back in time. Because it's a room with almost 16,000 people in it. And almost no one's wearing masks because there's no longer a mask mandate here in Nashville. And when you walk in first, they're all, everyone's chatting to each other because there's a lot, it's like a family reunion. Everyone knows each other. And then they do prayer and worship and music and uh, everybody's singing. And then they get down to business and then the tension rises where you can see almost everything is contested. When you vote, you have a yellow ballot in your hand. You raise that up uh, like a card. Well, if there was a close vote, there were boos and, you know, kind of no, and they made them vote over again. And there was a sense that the leaders would say something and people who were unhappy with them would push back. There was a lot of tension and a lot of sort of you know, what they call subtweeting at the microphones. Hmm. People kind of ins- insinuate, you know, kind of insulting in veiled insults to one another. And then a lot of passion about we cannot, you know, one, the, the leadership, you work for us and you're not going to investigate yourselves and we're not going to mistreat abuse victims or we don't like CRT and you're going to have to answer to us for us. And so the people who are answering are saying, no, we don't like CRT, uh, but we do care about racism. And so, and then, it's a very, very, at the same time, there's all, it's like a giant business meeting with Robert's Rules of Order. So you get talks about bylaws. And so a pastor got up and talked about something in one of the annual reports that didn't conform to bylaw section, you know, whatever. It sounds like Boys State meets Bible camp. <laughs> it is. It is. But there was tension everywhere. And you could see, like, you just read the room like, these folks don't trust those leaders. Bob could see this tension when it came time to talk about the sexual abuse allegations the church is dealing with. A group of pastors made a motion for an independent investigation of SBC leadership. But leadership turned that motion down. Bob says that did not fly with the members in attendance. They didn't want the executive committee to investigate itself. And the uh, the whole um, body of messengers, they're called, from local churches, said no. They overruled the, the the chair of the meeting, and they got on the agenda that there was going to be a third-party investigation, and there was, you know, passionate debate about it, and it passed overwhelmingly. That sounds like a victory for abuse victims. It was. Uh, it was seen as fun for them. It's a huge change because the, the executive committee leadership in the past has long resisted 
any national actions on sexual abuse. So the, the way the SBC is set up, it's kind of an inverted triangle, inverted period where all the power is at the bottom. They like to say that the headquarters of the SBC is the local church. So the national office, which is very small, can't tell the churches what to do. But so they've taken that to mean we can't track abuse abusers. We can't do anything. It means also we have no responsibility. We have no responsibility. So there was a hostility towards or taking any national action on this. And so that was a that was a huge change. In addition to those resolutions about what Southern Baptists believe, attendees also had to vote on the SBC's new president. This is where the conservative Baptist network was hoping to gain some ground. Their candidate, a pastor named Mike Stone, had been a vocal critic of what he called the SBC's liberal drift. In the end, it came down to a runoff between Stone and an Alabama pastor named Ed Litton. He was a relatively moderate candidate. He wanted to focus on building bridges between members. When the totals came back, Litton, the moderate, had won, but only narrowly, by 2%. You know, more people showed up who wanted the open-hearted kind of approach. Litton, if you look at him, he is the works on racial reconciliation. He's a very good preacher, but he's a pastor first in terms of like caring for people and empathy. He uh, lost his wife about 15 years ago in a car wreck. And uh, and actually, the, his second wife, she her husband had been a Baptist pastor, and he died in a car wreck. So they have a family that is kind of overcome tragedy and walk through the really hard times. So they're pretty soft hearted. Reminds me of Biden. There's, there's a personality like Biden. Uh, the principles are very different, but the approach is, you know, they're going to listen to you and tell you what they think, but they also care about you as a person. And so it is a little, maybe a little bit like the U.S. in that we have a different approach in the White House, but we haven't resolved those existential questions. Well, it's interesting. You say the CBN, the Conservative Baptist Network, they were saying the morning of the election that if they lose, they're going to come back next year and the next and the next. Yes. And so while I think you could look at what happened at the Southern Baptist Convention, and if you don't know the inner workings, think like, oh, well, it looks like the convention members are choosing a more progressive direction. I think you you could say that. But it sounds like <laughs> it's not quite that. It can't quite be that because there's still such fiery disagreement. Yeah, they're, they're having the same problem that the GOP is. How do you be? How, how do we put these conservative principles into practice? And the problem is we don't have good language to talk about this because if you say the word progressive, it's taking sides. In fact, early on, the Al Mohler, uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary president when the CBN was announced, said there's already a conservative Baptist network. It's the Southern Baptist Convention. You've talked about how the Southern Baptist Convention is sort of having the same issues that we're seeing play out everywhere else in politics right now. But I wonder a little bit if watching the Southern Baptist Convention meet up, I wonder if you feel like it teaches you anything about the way democracy works in a larger sense, because it is this very democratic system. And so I wonder if it has lessons for that wider system, for our government, for how we participate in it. Yeah, I think it does. I think it has lessons on, you know, how do we act on our principles? I think it has lessons on how we treat one another. So I think we should be watching this and saying, 
can these institutions build trust among people in a really difficult time and stay true to their principles? So I think that's, you know, there's a lesson for America is like in all this change, you know, I think people forget how much change has happened politically, socially, economically, technologically, everything about America has changed. And so we're a different country than, you know, I was born in 65. It's a different country. I'm 56. It's a different world that my parents were in. And how do we be Americans in this world? Or how do how, for Southern Baptists, how do they be Southern Baptists in this modern world? Do they withdraw and be a kind of chosen few with only the people who agree with them? Or can you have a set of principles and say, we have different viewpoints in this and we have empathy towards one another and change our behaviors? Bob, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it was a great pleasure. Bob Smetana is a national reporter for Religion News Service. And that is the show. What Next is produced by Carmel Del Shad, Davis Land, Mary Wilson, Daniel Hewitt, and Elena Schwartz. We are led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. You can go track me down whenever you want on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Meanwhile, I'll catch you back here in this feed tomorrow. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So, first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community, which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails, there ain't no going back.